From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. We are joined today by two-time Grammy award-winning operatic bass baritone Deshaun Burton. Deshaun's repertoire runs the gamut from the Baroque period to the present, and he has performed with many of the world's leading orchestras and opera companies. He is a member of the contemporary vocal ensemble Room Full of Teeth and has devoted his career to breaking down the arbitrary walls of what it means to be a classical singer and artist. Deshaun Burton, it is an honor to have you with us today. Welcome to Orchestrating Change. Matthew, thank you so much. What an exciting intro. I feel I feel like <laughs> jumping up and running a marathon. Like, oh, that's really, really fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we have so much that we want to talk about. So I guess diving just right in, uh, growing up, what was your relationship with music like? And tell us a little bit about how that led to your path to becoming a professional singer. So many of my friends, I think, already know that the the earliest music, you know, that I heard was in video games and on, you know, in cartoons and things like that. And it always fascinated me um, in my house. Of course, growing up, we, we weren't professional musicians, but we loved listening to the radio and and uh, listening to a lot of R&B. And so, you know, the, the sounds of, of Anita Baker and uh, and Al Green are just, you know, just uh, sort of sing me to sleep every night in, in my heart. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, sort of growing up with, with that appreciation for music, um, was, was really handy when I actually started to study music, uh, in high school. Um, my friends just said, you know, Hey, you should uh, come and be in choir. And I had no clue what they were talking about, but I, I just thought it sounded fun and probably like a good chance to, um, say hello to, you know, some, some friends and meet new friends and things. And really it's, it's been that ever since, uh, truly from that first, you know, kind of choir rehearsal and audition and everything until today, I just love connecting with people. Um, so that's, I think, the, the sort of biggest thread that has connected uh, my, my entire career. I've, I've always been grateful for people uh, wherever I go. So that's interesting. You really didn't get involved seriously in, in any serious capacity with singing until you were in high school. So tell us, what was the process like at that point learning to read music and, and all of this stuff that some of us, like, for instance, I learned how to read music when I was, I don't know, four, five, six. What is it like as a little bit older getting into the game? It's, it certainly, you know, was a challenge. You know, I, I, like you say, I didn't have that, that kind of head start, you know, that a lot of my friends had, especially, um, you know, either, growing up in, in community choirs or in, in children's choirs or in church choirs or things like this, where you get to at least, you know, kind of read along with a hymnal. If, if, so if you don't, if you're not the greatest, you know, uh, sort of sight reader or something, you at least have a, a, a general passing sense of it. 
Um, and so when I was first trying to learn, I just I had a lot of really great, great and patient teachers uh, who were, um, you know, just just really uh, able to to kind of say this is you know this this is how it goes you know this mm. this is what you need to study and and uh, even from a very young age I was interested in music theory and you know kind of the 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 sort of visual relationship of of music as well and just you know trying to practice sight reading and things like that. Mm. Um, it was all it was all just a lot of fun and certainly choir is a great way to you know to kind of lean on others and kind of learn a little bit by ear as you're looking along and you know kind of being able to practice uh you know both things at the same time so i think i was very lucky uh to have really great teachers who who you know uh, really encouraged me um uh even even then going on to college i didn't know what i wanted to do you know kind of going into college uh in terms of music i knew that i wanted it to be a part of my life but um, you know, I, I think they said, you know, you're just ne you're, you're never sure. So make sure you have some kind of backup. And uh, they suggested music education uh, and what a backup that turned out to be. It is one of the most intense and <laughs> rigorous, uh, you know, kinds of right. um, uh, studies that that I've ever, you know, sort of come across. And mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people sort of have this relationship with with music performance and music education. They think, you know, this terrible, terrible phrase, those who can't do teach, it's mm. just the worst, worst, worst possible. Because to be a teacher, you really have to do and to love and to teach how to love. I mean, it's, right. it's so much more. Right. So I knew that my heart wasn't really in music education, because, uh, because of, you know, the kind of uh, the way that my brain worked. Um, and, and uh, I sort of going through the program really taught me that. So <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, that was at Case Western, great music education yeah. program. But I ended, I ended up uh, transferring to Oberlin College, where yeah. I finished out a Bachelor of Music in um, in vocal performance. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have just one more curiosity <laughs> question here: Was there a piece of classical music that you heard and you were just like, "Wow, I need to perform that piece at some point." Yeah, there were a ton. We were so lucky. And oh my gosh, we did we not know it. Um, at, you know, the campus of Case Western, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sits uh, right, you know, kind of in the middle of it sits Severance Hall, right. really the, one of the world's greatest artistic resources, uh, home of the Cleveland Orchestra and just one of the finest orchestras of all time. We we got, as students of uh, of the music program in Case Western, we got $3 tickets <laughs> to wow. the Cleveland Orchestra. Yeah. So. You know, if if I if I was thinking about it, you know, I was like, oh well, you know, maybe I should just drop by, you know. See, I mean, this would be such a luxury, you know, today <laughs> to go. You could not take me out of that space now if if uh, if, if I were still there. Um, but yeah, the, my very first concert was um, uh, at uh, at Severance uh, was watching Gofnani, uh, uh conduct, among other things, um, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony which I just thought was, um, I'd been listening to Tchaikovsky uh, since I was a kid. Uh, that's one of the, you know, kind of uh, composers that I think I, le I learned about either in school or, mm -hmm. you know, came across some kind of music. So between, you know, things like the Nutcracker and stuff like that, but also the Sixth Symphony really caught on, uh, you know, with me, the um, uh, Romeo and Juliet uh, overture, mm -hmm. obviously, uh, Francesca Darini, uh, all of these, you know, really beautiful um, overtures and tone poems and things like that really kind of stuck with me. So Tchaikovsky was really uh, interesting. I saw that the opening concert, I believe, was Tchaikovsky for it. I knew I had to had to go. And so that's, you know, being in the grandeur of, of 
Severance Hall and everything like mm -hmm. that. It, it was it was a really amazing uh, kind of first time professional uh, sort of look into that. Mm -hmm. We had a wonderful um, uh, community orchestra, um, a regional rather orchestra in our uh, in my hometown of Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Williamsport Symphony Orchestra, uh, and I went to a lot of those orchestra concerts as well, and and loved them uh, too. So it was really nice to kind of um, get you know a, a sense of of you know sort of these these different orchestral programs, um, uh, and and they really yeah infused infused this <laughs> I don't know excitement uh, for for orchestral music for mm. sure. Absolutely. You, you mentioned you, you ended up attending Oberlin, and Oberlin has quite a gr wonderful early music study program for instrumentals and, and vocalists. And um, I know you are heavily involved with early music performance. So can you tell us a little bit about what draws you to early music and its performance? I didn't really grow up, you know, kind of, again, knowing much about early music. And really my first um, entree into early music was... Um, looking through the um, the catalog at Case Western, actually, uh, you know, first first semester, thinking, you know, okay, well, I want to join a choir, you know, kind of what's going on, and I come across this group called Early Music Singers, led by Ross Duffin, mm. and I I read that and I thought to myself, oh, it sounds nice. I I like to wake up early. I think you know, <laughs> make these rehearsals and probably enjoy enjoy that, <laughs> you know, things like that. I just I didn't I didn't know. And so it took me, you know, sort of even even that first semester of, you know, really understanding, oh, this is, oh, early music. OK, OK, early music. <laughs> and um, and so sort of uh, having Ross Duffin, uh, incomparable mind uh, in in performance practice, um, early music history uh, and, and just everything um, in, in terms of. Uh, of of having having that as a first education was just really amazing. Um, so I had three years of, of kind of that sort of really concentrated um, activity at Case. And then actually at Oberlin, I missed out the opportunity of singing uh, in um, Steve Stephen Plank's um, mm. Collegium, unfortunately, yeah. but, uh, but I did sing with him in his church choir as well. So mm. I, I still had it kind of going, uh, going with me throughout my, yeah, throughout my college, even, even throughout my um, early career, I worked with a group called Contus and we, you know, did a lot of uh, chant and things like this. Uh, but it wasn't until my time at Yale that I really, you know, mm. kind of uh, started studying um, early music. They have a wonderful early music program there. Mm. And I, uh, again, worked with amazing teachers who were incredibly patient and, and really uh, s truly among the most knowledgeable people in the entire galaxy about <laughs> early music and and just watching them perform it with that knowledge and that passion simultaneously was was really really a powerful experience. Absolutely. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, you just won a Grammy Woo. this past weekend for a performance of a composer who finally is getting the attention and recognition she deserves, Dame Ethel Smythe, British composer who we've mentioned a couple times in the past on this podcast. Tell us, what was it like getting a Grammy this year in the year of COVID? What was the, what was the ceremony like? Did you go to LA? Tell us a little bit about it. I have to say, I feel terrible because I'm, I'm incredibly boring in this way. Um, I think they, um, you know, just for uh, sort of logistical purposes and everything, they they sort of limited uh, the entire scope of of the um, 
of the event. Uh, I was lucky enough to also uh, go to the Grammys uh, maybe about seven years ago by now. And mm-hmm. um, and so we did, my group did go out to LA for that. And it was really an amazing time. Uh, this time they, they actually said only one person uh, could kind of represent, mm. you know, the, the category. Also it being so solo vocal, uh, you know, made sense too. Uh, but um, uh, so gratefully, uh, my my collaborator, Sarah Braley, was uh, able to uh, sort of attend all of the backstage festivities. And she said, wonderful. She met a lot of amazing people, you know, in the breakout rooms and, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the waiting rooms and had really great conversations uh, with other musicians and other, you know, the hosts of the of of the uh, pre televised uh, ceremony, as you know, <laughs> as you as you mentioned, uh, you know there there's kind of the main event, you know, sort of evening time Grammys, and then there, you know, they give the sort of rest of the I don't even know eighty seven categories right. something like this <laughs> in a uh, kind of afternoon marathon, and so you know things things kind of you know uh, move along, and there are a lot of people to flow through, so so um, it's a huge huge honor, uh, but the pomp and ceremony is a little a little less uh, kind of in the pre-televised uh, version of it so but yeah I the as always um you know the most you know kind of thrilling thing uh, any any time I think you know there's anything to celebrate within music whether it's an award or a great performance or anything like this you, you it's it's your friends you, your friends either text you or that you get to mm-hmm. see them afterwards you have calls with family and friends and you know you get to share in that moment and so I'm always grateful for that and always re- uh, grateful to represent um you know, people who have been uh, really important in my life. So, mm-hmm. so that, that, that uh, is always special for me. Right. Absolutely. Now, was it a live streamed event this year? Did you find out yes. the moment that Sarah went up to accept the award on the award on all of your behalfs? Did you find out that moment or was it, a, you mentioned pre-taped? No, no, no. Yeah. They, they, they did the whole thing live streamed, uh, which I think is quite a, you know, huge right. technical feat with yeah. all of the, you know, zooming and everything all around the world uh, for you know obviously amazing musicians all around the world. Um, uh, but I, I I don't actually personally know how it worked out. But Sarah, I think was uh, you know just kind of waiting and you know ready ready to go and um, and was just perfect in her speech and in, in the excitement uh, that you know she had even even though you know she was just talking to glass you know in this way. But you know she's just so excited uh, for for the whole team for all of us and. And uh, certainly for uh, for Dame Ethel Smythe and you know what this means for for her music and um, and everything it's a, it's a really I think it was a really powerful moment for her and I I'm really grateful that uh, that we all got to celebrate afterwards for sure mm-hmm. absolutely and you know sadly it's, there are so many people that watch the Grammys every year and just see the primetime ceremony and that they're like okay that's that's all the awards that are given out. There's so many people that don't even realize there are, I think you said 87 awards that are given out. Something like that, yeah. Exactly, yeah, during the day. But, you know, the the, uh, the Academy, the Recording Academy, honors all types of music and all types of recorded anything, spoken word, uh, books mm-hmm. on tape. It's it's really wonderful. So it's a truly, truly amazing yeah, process. Yeah. yeah. So about this recording, you recorded a piece that was written almost a hundred years ago for the very first time. What is it like to, to record an old piece, but be the first one to do so? Uh, I, I think it's, it's great. I've had the, um, the great fortune uh, to work with people who are, who are really devoted, um, you know, to, to sort of seeing, 
uh, as close to the original intention of a composer that is possible for for their for their music whether that's through you know kind of the performance practice of of um baroque renaissance medieval music and you know we we obviously can't speak with these people but but through the study of a lot of musicology and even science and technology of the times and kind of the history of mathematics and all of this sort of stuff you you can really learn a lot about uh, you know, what it probably sounded like, what, you know, was probably happening, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and people are still doing that, even though, uh, you know, we, we have people, uh, even, even in the last, you know, couple of decades, uh, who have made amazing music, but, you know, just uh, for whatever reason, didn't get, you know, the, the, the stage, the opportunity um, to, to sort of be, um, be kind of uh, in, in, in the public spotlight as much. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we all know uh, many of the reasons why Dame Ethel Smythe in her time in the, at the uh, turn of the century would not have um, been given the same uh, amount of respect and, and, um, and visibility, I think, of, uh, as a lot of the other uh, male composers that we still you know, uh, sort of lionize uh, even today. Mm -hmm. But uh, she was um, quite popular um, during her life, which I think you know, is, is, is a testament to the strength of her music as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's, it's just kind of one of those things though, you know, sort of as, as time went on, you know, people, uh, other, other kinds of styles, you know, sort of supplanted that kind of music, other, other composers, you know, kind of made the, you know, the sort of news and, in, in, uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and a lot of her music, uh, you know, really isn't as performed as it should be today. So yeah, we're, we're all just really hoping, uh, James did an excellent, uh, job, um, uh, making the, making a brand new edition of this piece from scratch. Uh, with with her notes and you know he did all of the research into you know uh, the the text and all sorts of things to to really make this something that that can be performed by anyone now there, there's there's a there's a real performance working edition of this now uh, that that you know has all of the the scholarly um, uh, notes that James and all of the other wonderful scholars put uh, into this into this edition so uh, that's the most exciting part of it you know seeing that that people are able to use the ingenuity and the creativity that uh, is required uh, to be a musician and, and put it to good use uh, by, by giving that to other people, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's through, um, you know, a really solid performance or a really great recording, or in this case, um, all of those and <laughs> a really wonderful um, performance score that can be yeah, then performed everywhere. So, Ab yeah. Absolutely. And James, by the way, for our listeners, is James Blatchley, who conducted the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, back in 2013, you won another Grammy. We've mentioned you've won two. So back in 2013, uh, your ensemble, uh, Roomful of Teeth, won Best Chamber Music Performance. Um, and Roomful of Teeth has performed a music that is quite different than Dame Ethel Smythe. Um, it's very different than early music. It's it's very different than a lot of music our listeners are probably used to. I've had the pleasure to hear you all perform before, which was wonderful. Uh, you all were at Baldwin Wallace when I was at Baldwin Wallace. So that was very, very fun for me. But would you mind telling our audience a little bit about the group and the music that you all perform and kind of your mission as an ensemble? Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I, I often try to say, 
um, you know, that, that old Monty Python, you know, tagline. And now for something totally different, it really <laughs> is completely different, right. uh, you know, in, in so many ways. Um, it's uh, at its essence, an, an eight member uh, vocal band. That's, mm. that's kind of, you know, sort of the most simple way that, that we use to describe ourselves. But what we what we aim to do uh, is to really celebrate the power of the human voice mm-hmm. um, in in every possible way, and that includes uh, not just our own voices, but the journeys that our voices have been through individually uh, to to truly make them the the instruments and the experiences and and the lived in bodies that that you know that they they live in and that they are uh, in this way. So so these combinations have always fascinated us. Um, knowing a lot about the kinds of music from around the world uh, is basically how we started out. Um, we we were we and we always have been fascinated by vocal music from around the world. Uh, we invite teachers from around the world and and we sit at the feet of these masters and and uh, take lessons um, in all different types of music. Um, and and then uh, our composers also, we, we commission everything, um, almost everything. We have a few, you know, a couple of really specialized things that we might do uh, that, you know, just sort of fits us perfectly. But but our our main goal is to commission everything and to really mm. um, expand the, the literature uh, for, for voice in this way. Um, uh, and, and so we invite our composers into this process uh, and we we just try to be all in the same room. We try to you know love on each other and really mm-hmm. understand each other and really understand um, everyone's individual story as much as possible. Um, and uh, we we've worked so hard to uh, also understand the the kind of cultural context of of music uh, around the world and what it means to sing around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in America, we are so we're so lucky in so many ways. You know that that singing. Um, can be, you know, a part of our everyday culture. It, it's it, it it means so many different things around the world, and and we've we've really uh, come to understand um, and and respect and love and want to um, amplify uh, as many voices uh, from around the world as we can. It's it's always been our mission, but mm-hmm. but I think um, just knowing, you know, sort of how the the power that that we've had um, uh, that that we've experienced from these voices. Um, we we always want to put that first. We we want to give the audience the feeling that we had uh, when we're first, mm. you know, kind of learning these techniques or you know studying these techniques or working with composers in this way. Um, and that just kind of all of that whole melange of of you know wonderful salad bowl of of beauty uh, <laughs> just becomes our offering uh, to the audience. And and it can be a really sonically and mentally and spiritually invigorating or yeah. exhausting or <laughs> crazy making experience but but um but we we just want our our uh, friends in the audience to to just uh, really walk away changed in in some way yeah. um, from, from hopefully the expansion of, of uh, <laughs> their ears their hearts their minds yeah I, we were we were looking at your website and I really it was I was reading I, you called yourself a band which I really thought was very interesting uh, for because um, it's not a word that gets thrown around in, in, in classical vocal performance or just classical performances in general so that was very refreshing um, and then we also noticed a fun little tidbit on your website of all of you have a silly descriptor under your name on the website, which is very, very fun. You allegedly hate matching socks. 
um, according allegedly about it, one hundred percent matching socks. You, you have. I have the target on my back, uh, you know, and every pair of matching socks from around the world is, is after me. No, I, I love, I, somehow I found this company. Um, oh gosh, I, I really should know this better. Um, I, uh, I believe they're Swedish. I, it's been a while um, since I, you know, <laughs> have sort of worn socks in public, unfortunately, in this way. Uh, but, but it's called Happy Socks, and they, they just, they truly are exactly uh, what, what they what uh they are described as they they just make me happy i think they make people happy <laughs> lots of bright bold colors bold patterns they're all amazing and i think they're even better when they're mismatched so that's yeah, very no, no matching socks <laughs> that's amazing so uh one of your colleagues pulitzer prize winner caroline shaw yeah apparently is the seeker of the perfect yolk tell us yeah. a little bit about that yeah. one i think well tell us a little bit about that and also just this culture that you all seem to have created and this mindset that you all have because it's very it's re refreshing it's it's just really fun to see yeah it's it's you know it's such a funny thing you know in in, in music in general uh, certainly in classical music, uh, we 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 think you know that so much of of you know the music is kind of the show or the experience of the concert. Um, but but we certainly in Room Full of Teeth, I think individually we were so lucky to come together. I think we all had a bit of us in this, uh, a bit of this in us, uh, kind of before we all met. But but this idea that that the music isn't just on stage. The music doesn't just begin when the note is sung and end when the note uh, is finished, but but it, it's all encompassing. And, and so you really have the opportunity to express yourself uh, truly um, on stage so powerfully that, that, that it invites the audience to, to really express themselves. And so you have this really uh, beautiful mix of, of energy in this way. Um, and, and so in that, we, we really try to just be ourselves above all, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's, it can be a really tricky thing in, in classical music, especially uh, because, you know, we, we, we have a, a very long tradition, you know, of, of people, you know, kind of um, doing, doing great things, you know, and, and saying, this is, you know, this is really how it should be done. And then they teach someone and they say, oh, you've learned this thing. This is how this should be done. Um, and I think with each, you know, kind of generation, with each iteration, with each wall that's torn down, mm -hmm. that says only these kinds of people are, are able to do these great things. We learn that that classical music is so much bigger and so much broader and um, so much more inclusive uh, than, than it ever, you know, was purported to be, you know, yeah. hundreds of years ago. Really, it, it, it is music and music is, is in everyone's heart. So we invite people in, uh, especially the weirdos. We, we <laughs> love the weirdos, certainly, in Room Full of Teeth. But it's just it's just our way of, of trying to make everyone say, I belong here, yeah. uh, which is which, you know, is, is just a huge part of my life um, as, as as much as possible. I want to bring people into these spaces, uh, especially people who have you know historically been denied access to these spaces. Yeah. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of great uh, work, I believe, you know, um, especially behind the scenes uh, in, in classical music. But but the, the road is still extremely long and we're still on that marathon. Yeah. So the, the work needs to be done. Absolutely. So this is something we've talked a lot about on our podcast. We have examined ourselves as specifically the Canton Symphony Orchestra, but 
really the orchestra world in general about how our audience is simply not diverse currently. And we have talked with many people on the podcast and then amongst ourselves about what we can do as the orchestra world and as the Canton Symphony Orchestra, what we can do to try to break these barriers down. And we, we've come up with some ideas, but I would love to hear what are some efforts, particularly uh, as far as reaching out to the African-American community, what are some efforts that Roomful of Teeth has endeavored to undertake and what's worked for you so far? I think obviously, you know, it's, it's different for every ensemble, uh, but that's only because it's really different for every person. At the heart of this, of this uh, struggle, uh, of this this fight to include everyone, um, the, it, it, at the heart of it is education. You, you, you really have to educate yourself about what it is that, that you want to be doing uh, with, with our precious time here uh, on this planet. Um, and, and I think, you know, in, in Roomful of Teeth, we try to answer that question uh, as often as possible um, and, and, and with the knowledge that we work with a lot of people who have not traditionally been uh, given voice uh, in, in our kind of music, even, even though, you know, we're sort of trying to break down barriers and everything like that, they, they still uh, are not welcome in so many different ways. We've, we've definitely done a lot of learning in terms of the, uh, the, the, the impact uh, that, that being an American choir that being a, a mostly white choir uh, has in communities around the world, uh, mm-hmm. when when you when you try to have this cultural exchange, mm-hmm. it's it, thing things. Uh, th- there are lots of lessons to be learned. Mm-hmm. We're learning them just as much uh, as as anyone else these days. And I think uh, the effort uh, really needs to be put. Um, the the amount of effort needs to be equal to the amount of effort that it takes to understand truly what an alargando is or, or to understand truly, you know, anything about uh, Johann Strauss waltzes or anything like that. You know, people go to school for years for these things. There has been a mountain of ink and paper uh, written about these things, hours and hours of discussion. The, the head start for that kind of education is very long, mm-hmm. but we have the, the opportunity and truly the responsibility um, as as um, as musicians, as artists, uh, to to really um, widen our our scope uh, to to understanding what it is that that we need to uh, be doing again with with our time here. So um, so for me, for for our band, for many of the people that I'm uh, grateful uh, to work with, um, it's it's really requiring people uh, to to be in in the room. Not not just saying you're welcome, uh, you're welcome to be here. But, but just really saying we are not complete as an ensemble. We're not complete as an orchestra. We're not complete as a, as a city's institution until we have the voices of every member of that city at mm-hmm. the very least. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's knowing that, that, you know, for all of the great work that any institution, any person has done, uh, you, there, there, it, it just is not complete until, until you truly are able to represent uh, the, the voice of, of as many people um, under your care as possible. Truly, you, the, the community is under our care. 
And so we, we really need to, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, I think, the direction uh, that this um, continual marathon needs to go. I, I, I really like, I, so there's a question that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and an aspect of classical music, um, which is this idea of um, the gallery of orchestral music and the museum aspect of orchestral music. But I and museum being we perform and dis, and, and constantly reinvent old, older works. It, it's available to to listen to and galleries discovering new things. But I I feel like with a, an ensemble like Roomful of Teeth, it's not even just um, gallery and museum. It's also discovery, going out and, and and learning about things that you don't know yet. And so, can you? talk you've performed a lot in early music you're performing in very new music you're discovering new things you're educating you're doing all of this can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to do all of these things and you mentioned that a little bit in regards to bringing people in but in terms of the music itself the old the new the not yet discovered why is it important that we're doing all of this work i think it's important because um we we truly have um, at, at the very least, we just have a, a, an amazing opportunity. This is this is a it's 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 an opportunity to make our hearts whole again. It's an opportunity to to really find things that that are meaningful to us. Um, it's it's even bigger than any kind of concept of finding things or discovering things. These voices, these pieces, these uh, these institutions have always been there. It's it's how how can we share uh, what we you know what we have the amazing gifts uh, that that all of us have in our community how can we overcome uh, as much of this strife and and um, and kind of um, you know sort of exclusion uh, that has it's it's only historical there's there's really no other reason beside you know that's what we're used to doing. You know, I, I, I'm not I'm not an administrator, so I know that there are a lot of, you mm. know, really sort of technical, uh, you know, kinds of things and, and classical music, especially opera uh, is, is a very expensive um, yeah. <laughs> uh, venture. So I know that there are a lot of, of, you know, questions to be solved by this. But but the, the less we we are uh, sort of taking up these opportunities um, uh, as as quickly as we would sort of you know take up uh, you know sort of an oil field or something like this. I mean these are riches. You know they they we we have riches to share. We have riches to to uh, to require to be in the same room, not to take from these these rich institutions and cultures, but indeed for them to step on our stages and say this is Canton or. Mm this is America or, or anything like this, whatever we can do uh, to really amplify the voices that, that have not been heard in our communities, um, but have been singing for decades and centuries. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's really, really what, what we need to be doing. And I, I just, I will not feel complete until that work is done. It, it, we, we all need to be uh, in, in this work as much as possible. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. So we've talked already a lot about breaking down barriers here. Mm -hmm. You, just by being who you are, a tall black man with dreadlocks, you are, just by being who you are, breaking down barriers. Tell us a 
a little bit about some of the efforts that you have undertaken. You personally, we talked a little bit about Room Full of Teeth, but you personally to intentionally work to break these barriers down. I, I don't know, you know, that, that I've done anything, you know, specifically to break any barriers. Um, I, I am, I am myself being in these spaces is enough, you know, to, to, um, uh, to, to be able to survive, uh, in these spaces. Um, it, I try to, uh, to be an example, uh, as much as I can to uh to students around the world uh you know to say that that these spaces are not um exclusive they they are not you know meant to keep us out we again we are required to be in these spaces to tell the true and full story of of who we are um you it's it's just um as much as i i have loved so much music uh certainly of my training everything like that I, I think the perspective that I have in my life uh, in this country, the, the pain that I feel uh, every day uh, watching so much violence uh, being perpetrated against people of color uh, and, and people of different sexual orientations and, and women, uh, knowing this pain and, and being able to infuse that uh, into the music, uh, it, it, it's it's um in a way it's automatic for me it's 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 the only thing i can do uh but but um i i just think you know that the more that we reach out to our communities um that have gotten us here today uh the 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 better um the better served we all are together um you you really you can't yeah you can't um kind of have this this place in your life without constant gratitude for the people who have gotten you here. Mm. Um, for me, that doesn't just include my family, who obviously has been very supportive. That doesn't include all of the schools and the teachers and everything. That includes all of the amazing uh, singers who have, who have walked into these spaces before me and all of the amazing singers who before them weren't allowed to walk into these spaces and all of the wonderful, wonderful music which still today, in a way, isn't being allowed to be performed in these spaces. So it's it's really carrying that and saying, okay, you know, this this is why this is important. Not because it's the first black person to be X Y Z or anything like that. It's because we we don't know what our story is. We we just we don't know. We are walking around aimlessly thinking that you know that Mahler is the greatest thing and now now we've performed all of the Mahler symphonies and that's it our work as classical musicians is done we have climbed Mount Everest of classical music but but we haven't we haven't even gotten close um, and it's not until we're interacting with um, the the generations of people whose music has been um, uh, excluded and the people who are still writing music today and who are still um, struggling to survive uh, for for not just physical sustenance, literal mm -hmm. survival, but but just uh, for their artistic voice as well. So. Yeah, um, I this this past year has been devastating in a lot of ways, um, but focusing on what it's been like for performers in particular, um, you know, not able to give live performances while all this turmoil is going on, wanting still to tell stories and to express yourself and, and 
I won't try to repeat what you just so beautifully said, but all of those, those emotions and feelings that you have, um, you mentioned at the top that you went into music education first, and then you realize I'm not a music educator, but in the interim of this year, you've been doing a lot of education work, actually, um, you know, working with institutions and universities and, um, and being an advocate and a mentor to a certain amount of people. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this work and, and why it's so important to you? And I think we've kind of gotten a glimpse of that answer, but focusing even more on this education aspect that is just such a big part of your performance. Yeah, I mean, you 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 know it uh, very simply through the through the department that you uh, are um, able to to give to the community. It is it is um, not just reaching a hand out, you know, and saying, okay, you know, here, look at all of these shiny toys we have, <laughs> but it, it's saying we we belong to you. We I I am not my music is not mine. My art is not mine. It belongs to again the people who who have given this to me. Uh, through my life experience, it belongs to the next generation of people who who will take it and and build better toys, if you will, you know, to continue a silly analogy. Yeah. But um, but it, it's it's not ours. This this is not ours. So we we really have to um, have to continue giving this uh, to as many people as we can. I love working with students, um, especially this year. I think it's amazing that resilience and the mm -hmm. the perseverance uh, that it's taken to to have you know voice lessons in in this way um it's it's obviously a huge psychological toll mm -hmm. you know to be making music uh, constantly by yourself and i've been lucky you know to have um you know 15 years or whatever it's been of of doing it before uh but um but yeah a lot of a lot of these students have been working so hard for 3 years and then you have to give a student a senior recital, you know, on, on over Zoom, and it 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 can be, it, it is devastating. Uh, but but the br the brilliance that I see from these performances, the the uh, the the kind of follow through and initiative that I see from these people, these are the true champions of our of our society. I mean, um, you know, so many people uh, who have been forced to to change the entire way that they learn, uh, the entire way that they work. Um, anyone, you know, obviously I think access, you know, has, has increased mm. a ton, but people who don't have these, these tools of access are still holding up our society. And so any, anyone who is, uh, who's truly going through, um, all of the, all of these, um, terrible things, uh, not to mention, you know, the, the health concerns and the, every, everything that has physically been going on with this country, but, um, but the, these are the people uh, that, that I can only be eternally grateful for and um, and just hope uh, that, you know, once we once we open up again, you know, that we can all uh, just embrace and, and really <laughs> uh, just be so, so, so grateful uh, to, to people who are working mm -hmm. so hard. Um, and students, I think, are, yeah, are among the hardest working of them in, in these times. Yeah, we we have a we have a youth symphony program here, which I, I mentioned before we started filming, and they it's been completely virtual this entire year so far. We're hoping to get back in person in April, and the students have grown immensely and worked so hard making music in isolation, but being able to come together to put together an hour long full orchestra concert playing works by you know William Grant Still and all these amazing people, and then 
this last cycle we did chamber music and some of these students are doing chamber music for the first time ever um, and we've just started looking at the audio for those and, and, and editing those together and um, when you when we first were emailing setting this up you you sent me a really wonderful phrase which I'm going to read um, you said you work to give a voice to the next generation of musician citizens which Matthew and I heard that phrase and we just goo-gooed over it for a long time because we love that. Um, because we say our goal here at the Youth Symphonies at Canton is to create the next generation of educated consumers of the arts. Um, so can you tell us what, what do you mean by a musician citizen? And we've talked a little bit about how this next generation will change classical music, but maybe expanding upon the impact that these young people are going to have on the future of the arts that we are working in right now they they are it it's yeah. already happening you know i mean we not not to say anything you know of of the again the pages and pages uh, that have already been written about the challenges of the classical music business uh, but uh, through ingenuity through um hard work through um the the, the new version of, of people's physical minds creating new sounds and new experiences uh, it, it is already happening. Uh, people are changing the world, uh, which I think is what it means to be um, to be a citizen. It's, it's, you, you are a person who has an opportunity to change the world in some way. And so if, if you are an artist, uh, if you are a musician, if, if you have something in your, in your body to express, uh, then, then you can change the world through, through this expression. And it's, I, you know, I think uh, we we sort of get confused, you know, sometimes when when we say big things like change the world. That that's that's not, you know, to say that you that everyone has to be president of the UN to change the world. That's to say this is the opportunity that I have. What can I do to make things better for someone? Yeah, that is changing the world. Yeah, and I I, I really believe that uh, musicians have a unique responsibility, really an, an obligation uh, to, to continue to uh, build upon the community that we already have, um, to continue to amplify the voices of, of everyone that, that, we, that we know and love, that the world doesn't uh, know and love for, for many different reasons, um, and, uh, and to continue to listen to each other in dialogue about um, about people that, that we should know and love and and be learning about. Um, because, yeah, again, you know, we, we travel half the world to, to do these things very easily for, you know, the same handful of composers. Yeah. It's it's really that shift that, that I think is beginning to happen and needs to really be sort of turbocharged in these times to, to give our our entire field um, the 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 power that it really has uh to to make uh musician citizens in this yeah. way yeah so we've talked a little bit already about your work giving voice to composers that many people in this generation don't yet know and uh your grammy award-winning recording of dame ethel smythe was one way, but you have a recital coming up this weekend at the time of this podcast recording. Coming up this weekend at the Caramore Center, a noted venue north of New York City. And you're going to be performing the works of Florence Price and Margaret Bonds, two African-American women 
whose music is finally starting to get the appreciation it deserves, although it's very long overdue. The Canton Symphony, in fact, is going to be performing Florence Price's first symphony on our upcoming season. It will be only the second time, at least in the past 40 years, that we've done a symphony by an African-American. So tell us, with, uh, in regards to this upcoming recital, tell us a little bit about the music and what it means to you as a black singer to perform music by these two wonderful black composers. Uh, I'm I'm always excited to to perform uh, music um, of black composers, uh, especially um, on programs uh, with music that that we've been hearing for years and years and years and things. And so, I, I, starting out with uh, with the Dish Deliva is is going to be a really special experience with these uh, pieces as well, uh, because I I just think that that the the poetry um, uh, and and the poet's love and and the poet's life. Uh, all speak together uh, in in a really beautiful way, and so I'm 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 really looking forward to it. Um, of course, you can never ever you know kind of be the same person after hearing the poetry of Langston Hughes, mm. on which the uh, yeah. the three dream portraits of of Margaret Bonds uh, is 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 taken. And so um, it's again it's it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for 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 that that possibility that that someone out there hasn't heard this uh, hasn't heard that in these spaces um from a person who looks and is me um and uh yeah it, it's it, for, for me it's it's an incredibly special thing yeah, mm -hmm. to to perform uh the, the, these perform uh, these composers in this way absolutely so the pandemic has given me a conductor with no concerts to conduct. <laughs> a very unique opportunity in my career journey to not just be rushing from one concert to the next and learning all the music I have to learn and then performing and then learning the next set of music. And it's, it's given me an opportunity to explore music I may not have discovered quite so early in my life, in the very least, or potentially maybe never discovered. Uh, I myself have completely fallen in love with the music of Florence Price. I cannot wait to conduct something of hers. Uh, William Grant still as well. And I know I'm not alone. Many orchestras and conductors across the country are, have discovered this music during the pandemic. And for me, I love the music so much, and I, I believe in the music so much. I know I'm going to perform it for the rest of my career. Do you think that the recent... Do you think that people becoming more aware of this music at this current time is going to be something that's going to last, or potentially is it is it just for this moment what what do you what do you think about that yeah, I, I hear what you're saying it's um it's very tempting you know to think that the um that you know this is kind of a, a fad or you know something like this but uh, really i think with each iteration of of you know sort of the progress of, of any civil rights issue uh with with it, it just things get pushed you know a little bit more a little bit more it may feel like you know sort of again we we've had you know the past few years of of you know really terrible um and and explosive you know kind of um turmoil in this way 
but but these things have been happening and and for a lot of the the students and and uh, new musicians they are already you know kind of making music that has encompassed you know the entirety of their 20 year old lives and so it you know th this isn't uh, this isn't something that, you know, it's very tempting to think, yeah, okay, we've all been, you know, inside watching a lot more of the news. And that's why we know, you know, the, the, these things have been happening for forever. And I think that the, um, that any kind of idea of, of national refocusing uh, that, that we can do is, is great. What, whatever it takes is my, is my uh, answer always, you know, because it, it, this, this will this will progress whether we want it to or not mm -hmm. um and it, it becomes uh that that old uh oh gosh i think it's that old pete seeker song which side are you on mm. um it becomes a question of, of which side are you on mm. um if if you want to to uh to help um the voices who who have been trampled uh throughout history then then you know what you have to do and and it's it's that simple of a choice it's not always easy, but it is really, truly that symbol of a choice. Um, and so I, I really, I always commend people who are, you know, having these conversations and um, who are reaching out and things like this. I don't think um, the work is likely to stop anytime soon. Mm. But yeah, of course, you know, there, there, there is just so much work to be done. Um, so it is my hope, certainly, you know, that, that people kind of, once things open up again, that, that people really continue the work that we've been doing from the comfort of our own homes or, you know, computers and things like that. I, I really hope that we take it into the community mm -hmm. with our feet in this yeah. way. So Absolutely. And assuming that all of us in the orchestra world, we do remain intentional in our efforts to make this music an integral, a fully integral part of our programming year in and year out. Will this lead to more diverse audiences being open to come to the symphony hall? It's a huge question. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a question that I think we know what we want the answer to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, I would love to see, you know, this, this kind of panoply of, of faces and colors and, experiences uh but you know it's it's for the same reason you know that that i think um you know i'm not a fan of xyz music because you know i just didn't really listen to it or i didn't get into it i really wish i could have hung with you earlier rachel when you were talking about the uh the music theater i i really wish i were more of a music theater buff um, <laughs> i'm not i'm not so great at it <laughs> I, just, I just don't know a lot about it yeah. um and um in my case it's because you know i have been able to hear it and you know, say, well, okay, that's you know, I, I need to I need to practice that maybe a little bit later. It doesn't immediately grab me. Um, in a lot of the cases of of uh, cultures um, uh, in this country, uh, a lot of different people have not had the opportunity to listen to this kind of music and to be moved uh, in the same way, you know, that that um, we we sort of have it uh, since we were since we were children. Um, I think, you know, there are lots more uh, collaborations uh, that need to be happening mm. uh, these days in order to to really find, you know, um, sort of new new ways of, of getting um, of, of getting together, you know, because I, I think if, if we um, it, the same, you know, quote unquote, the same kinds of people, you know, that they've been seeing year in and year out. I don't, I don't mean uh, racial or anything like that, but just literally the same, you know, kind of, of makeup of, of 
what an orchestra is, you know, mm. just the instruments and the, you know, if, if we just keep getting up on stage and saying, well, okay, here, you know, how about this? And then the audience, you know, may, may feel the same or how about this? And, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of work that we have to do. And I, I think it, um, I think, you know, the work of a lot of, you know, these kinds of movie concerts and things like that um, is, is certainly a beginning. Uh, but, but I, I think that, that that's where the question lies, you know, how, how do we, how do we say, you know, we, we play these beautifully um, timeless pieces that we've trained our entire lives for. And we also uh, value, we truly value, you know, the, the, these kinds of artists, not because we love their music or whatever, you know, not, not everyone is going to love every orchestral music that they play, but, but, but it's because we see their hard work and, and we value that person as, as an artist. We, we value that artistic experience enough to, to be on our stage, regardless, ideally, of how, how it kind of, you know, how many seats it sells and all of that sort of thing. I know, I know, I right. know, right. XYZ. But, yeah. <laughs> but the, the ideal uh, is, is, is not, you know, kind of what's at the end of that journey, but, but what, what do we want to do about this um, today to give voices uh, to people who, who, who deserve our attention? Um, lots of big questions. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone has the answers. I think the people that are doing this best um, are, are learning uh, to, in a way, learn how to appreciate, you know, different kinds of artists. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you, you know, if you kind of just sort of say, oh, I don't know what TikTok is, or I don't know, you know, XYZ, I don't know. And if you just kind of keep doing this to the rest of the world, eventually, of course, you're going to have, you know, right. your beautifully tailored experience for people who know what that experience is. And, yep. you know, we, we, we have had a lot of work to do, you know, 50 years ago to get to, you know, where we wanted to be today. Um, and so we have to start this work in earnest now with the hopes that 50 years from now, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, kind of, you know, see a, a different um, kind of thing. And yeah. with the with the knowledge that for a lot of people, it's already happening. You know, there's a lot of ingenuity out there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, yeah. I, I think the hiring practices and, and the um, the amazing work that's been done on access is is really where it begins. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot about with many it just within ourselves at the symphony people like what they know yeah. this is this is one of our biggest problems people like what we know and we are really trying to our hope is that we can get people to try something new mm -hmm. and it's it's one of the the most difficult problems that we face as an orchestra as an as an organization and as an art I, form quite honestly you know I, we we all we all have trouble trying things new or trying new things just because they're new you know? yeah. so it's it's not it, it's not even endemic to people who aren't used to going to orchestra concerts it's me it's you it really is everyone right. it Absolutely. takes practice it takes work to get ourselves over the hump let alone to to try to welcome people into a space that is that can be physically dangerous in that, you know, the the echoes of not being allowed into these spaces really not that long ago right. are still being felt. So so these spaces are 
you know, it, it will take a lot of work to, to, to truly open the doors to the community. But mm -hmm. um, I, I know the work is coming. I know that there are a lot of people who are really dedicated to this work. And that's, that's really important. So, you know, we, we just need to, it's a marathon. It yeah. really is. And so one step <laughs> at a time. For sure. So just kind of finishing out the conversation for today, um, you describe yourself as a citizen for justice. And I think that's become very clear through this entire conversation. And um, this whole year has been a turmoil of a pandemic and how it has disproportionately affected uh, minority communities and then the murder of George Floyd and the and protests and, 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 and all the work that had to be done after that and continues to be done with violence against Asian Americans. And um, it's just been a year. And orchestras, you've seen orchestras are trying to do stuff. I mean, we're doing this, you know. Um, so just finishing this out, this past year for you um, and how you've reacted personally, but how have you thought in your, your, as just a person, how has this year been for you? And then looking forward from your perspective to us, how do we go about to orchestrate the change so that maybe this doesn't happen in the future? It's who who cannot say that it has been um, anything less than devastating. I, right. it, it's been a devastating year personally. You know, I've had losses uh, in in my family. Uh, I've had losses in my friends. You know, from from this terrible disease. Um, I've I've you know really I've I've watched um, you know sort of um, inaction at the highest levels. You know, for for really far too long. So I I think it's. I think it's devastating. Um, I think um, knowing, you know, that 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 we're not alone in in any of this, um, knowing that in both directions, that hopefully, you know, that that people do have people that they can reach out to for help. But the oft forgotten other the the other side of that coin uh, is that you can help people, and and oftentimes when you are able to help people, it it helps you. Um, you, you, you are able to strengthen your community through the people that you help. So um, it, it takes a lot to, to get out of bed these mornings, um, and it takes a lot to, to survive uh, these days. But, um, but you know, knowing that there are people uh, for whom you can uh, make things easier is the only thing that keeps me going. Um, knowing that you can comfort people is, is, is my my reason uh for for being so um yeah i i'm i'm certainly grateful for the two of you for conversations and and being open-hearted and and really uh wanting to to see the change that that is uh important um and yeah i can only hope that that uh more and more of us uh do this work every day yeah absolutely Deshaun burton thank you so so much for being with us today it's really been my, my privilege and honor. Thank you. Deshaun Burton, two-time Grammy Award-winning operatic bass baritone, member of the vocal band Room Full of Teeth. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.